This past week, I was privileged to be able to read a book called Faithful Preaching. There's always a challenge for every gospel preacher to be able to take the Word of God and allow it to be seen by those who hear is something relevant to their lives. When you read the epistles of Paul or you read the gospel accounts, it is easy for a person to take those books and simply let them be historical. It's very easy when you're studying a book of the Bible to go through that book and not take it and make it applicable to the needs and to the challenges of us today. I've been privileged to preach and teach from the book of Galatians for a few weeks now. This morning we're going to study Galatians chapter 2. I've entitled this lesson, The Gospel Solves Problems. I want to begin by talking about problems. There's problems, there's small problems, and there are large problems. And every church has some. Churches that I have visited, churches with which I have worked, and including this one, we have problems. When you start thinking about the kind of problems that you and I face, there's some that are nothing more than private, personal problems between people. I'm not talking about sin, I'm talking about petty differences. When Paul wrote the Philippians, he said in Philippians chapter 4 verse 2, I exhort you, Odia, and I exhort Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Help these women, true yoke fellow, with Clement also, whose names are written in the book of life. Euodia, Syntyche, the true yoke fellow, and Clement all had their names in the Lamb's book of life, and yet they didn't necessarily see alike on some things. On the other hand, there are some kind of problems that are personal that involve sin. That is where a person, for instance, may do something that is against God's law to his fellow man. Jesus addressed how to deal with those matters in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. He said, if your brother sins against you, go and show and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. The Lord expected that private, personal sins be addressed where a person goes to the person who has sinned against them and makes them aware of it. Only after that has been done is it correct to bring it before others and ultimately before the church if there is no repentance involved. But that leaves another category. Some are public and they're pivotal in the sense that they involve false teaching that is done not in a corner, not privately, but is done publicly. Or someone begins to practice something that is contrary to God's law. How do you deal with those problems? Galatians chapter 2. Here's a chapter where you have a problem, where you have a difficulty in the congregation. It is public. 
how should you handle these matters? So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 and see the problem stated. In fact, we're going to see it very much explained by the Apostle Paul. Number two, we want to look at verses 11 through 21 where we will see the problem settled as God would have it settled. Let's begin. Let's look at verses 1 through 10. You need to have your copy of the Bible. I want to encourage you. I know that we put it on the screen, but you can read off the screen, but you need to be able to have the ability to go back and look at some specific verses as we go through this. Then after 14 years, I went again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue in you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For these who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who effectively worked in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also effectively worked in me for the apostleship to the Gentiles. And when Cephas, or James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we would remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now for just a few minutes, I want you to think about what is occurring in the churches of Galatia. False teachers, false preachers are following Paul. They are creating confusion, they're creating conflict in all these congregations. That shouldn't surprise us. Because if we go back to Acts chapter 13 and 14 and we read about Paul's initial work there, there were people trying to destroy his work. At the very beginning, these preachers and these teachers in Galatia, he said, were false brethren secretly brought in. When you say they're false brethren, they're not true brethren. 
They may have been baptized, but they're not true servants of the Lord. When Paul wrote the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. These people want you to believe that they are devoted and dedicated servants of the Lord. In fact, in verse 14, Paul will go and say that even Satan transformed himself into an angel of light. It is no great thing, therefore, if his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. They will portray what they are not. But at issue was particularly the Gentile converts. Because you see, when Paul went out and he went on this journey to the Gentiles and he began to convert them, there were a lot of these brethren, false brethren, who were saying they've got to be Jews first. Luke in the book of Acts describes vividly the confrontation that took place. In Acts 15, verses 1 and 2, Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Notice now, these are people who are from Jerusalem. They're from Judea. What are they doing? They're teaching the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Here are Gentiles who are hearing the message, your salvation didn't take. You didn't do it right. You have not completed God's plan for salvation. God's plan for salvation involves you becoming a Jew first. Verse 2, Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, there was an argument that took place here. Paul and Barnabas said, That's not so. That's not right. So they're going to go to the apostles and the elders about this question in Jerusalem. Drop down to verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed. Uh Uh-huh. Now know the problem. Some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed. You see, when you become a Christian, you are not a hyphenated Christian. You're not a white Christian or a black Christian. You're not a Jewish Christian or a Gentile Christian. You are a Christian, a child of God. You don't hyphenate that word. But you see, these are of the sect. They're sectarians. They're denominational, if you want to put it that way. They are the ones who are saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. That means you've got to keep all of the dietary laws. That means also that you've got to keep all of these other laws written in the Old Testament. Now here's the way they approached it. They came and they challenged whether or not Paul was a real apostle. And you can say, well, what was the big deal about that? You see, of the original 12, Paul was not a part of that number. You had Peter and Andrew and James and John and the other eight apostles there. And 
what you find is, is that Paul was not among that number. He didn't travel with the Lord during his personal ministry. They were saying, Paul can't be a real apostle. How would you answer that question? Well, Paul's answer was, they're not the ones who made me an apostle. They are not the ones who gave me this commission. Remember chapter 1, verses 11 and 12? He said, But I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which was preached by me was not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul did not have to depend upon Peter and John to communicate to him the gospel that he was going to preach. You see, in this context, you look at verse 6. He said, those who seem to be something added nothing to me. You can say these men are important, but he said, they didn't add anything to me. But what you do see is that these established apostles do recognize the divinely authorized mission of Paul. Look with me at verses 7 through 9. He said, But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcised had been committed to me, they saw that, they knew that. Verse 9, They extended the right hand to fellowship. Unless you believe that Peter also said Paul is divinely directed, I'd suggest that you go to 2 Peter 3, verse 15. There, Peter writes, As our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote unto you in a few words, speaking in them of some things hard to be understood, which the untaught and unsteadfast twist as they do the other scriptures. You see, Peter says that what Paul was writing was Scripture and give him that method of commendation. But the second thing that they are doing and trying to oppose Paul is to say that Paul is somehow perverting the true gospel to accommodate the Gentiles. That what he's doing, he's left something out that no good apostle would ever leave out. And Paul's answer was the trip that he made to Jerusalem in Acts 15 was not by human direction. It wasn't as if Paul and Barnabas sat around and said, you know, we need to go up to Jerusalem and make sure that this matter is settled. He said, I went up by revelation in verse 2 and communicated to them the gospel. But now here is the real test case. Paul said, Barnabas went up with me and Titus also. Verses 2 and 3. He said, yet not even Titus who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Okay, now I want to know what the apostles and the elders think about this matter. Paul arrives with a man who is a full-blooded Gentile. He's Greek. His name is Titus. 
What do the apostles, what do the elders expect to be done? They're not going to see Titus circumcised because Paul said, if I did that, the truth of the gospel wouldn't continue. You see, there's some things that you just can't compromise on. In fact, in this context, in verse 5, he says, to whom we gave way of submission, no, not for an hour. There's some things about we, we about which we will not compromise. Now, there's some things about which it doesn't matter. But there are some things that do matter. And this is one of them. Because if you change the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. We observed that when we looked at verses 6 through 9. In Ephesians 5 verse 11, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Jude verse 3 says to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. There's some things about which you have to be willing to stand up and say, this won't pass. This won't happen. This won't be taught. This won't be practiced. Paul and the other apostles were unified on the fact that the Gentiles could receive the gospel without becoming Jews. Acts 15, verses 7 through 11. Peter stands up and he says, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Notice Peter saying, that's what I was doing, preaching the gospel to them. Verse 10, now therefore why do you test God putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Now, if you don't catch any other verse out of this lesson than verse 11, I want you to listen carefully to the way that Paul speaks here, or Peter speaks here. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Notice carefully, Peter did not say that they will be saved in the same manner as us. He said we shall be saved, we Jews, in the same manner as they, the Gentiles. Wow, that's a powerful statement in and of itself. When the apostles and the elders sent out a letter that they wrote, verse 23, I want you to notice the last phrase of verse 24. He says, to whom we gave no such commandment. These people who have come from Judea, they've gone to Antioch and they've said, you've got to keep the law of Moses or you can't be saved. The apostles and the elders said, we didn't send them. And we didn't teach them that. I think you see the problem now. The problem is there's the gospel message and there's some people who want to change it and they're going to attack those who teach it correctly and you're going to see that the matter was settled in Jerusalem, 
and Acts 15. But now, when you get to verse 11, you still got a problem. Let's read about this problem, beginning with verse 11. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I was stood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live like as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we who have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if Christ, or if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Now let me try to put this in a way that you can see what's going on. There's the theoretical solving of the problem that took place in Jerusalem. And then there's the practical behavior that got all messed up when Peter was at Antioch. Well, how did that happen? How can you have problems settled and solved, and yet you still have problems arise. Sometimes Christians know better, but they don't do better. Do you believe that? Sometimes I know better than the way I act. I'd say we all have to say that. James 4 verse 17 says, Therefore to him who knows good to do good and does not do it, to him it's sin. What Peter did at Antioch was to sin. That wasn't the first time he allowed pressure to get to him. Remember Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75? Peter was challenged, are you one of them? No, 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 I'm not one of them. He would curse and swear and say, I'm not one of them. We often look at our teenagers and say, 
I can't believe you're letting peer pressure drive you. We'll quote to them, 1 Corinthians 15, Be not deceived, evil companionships corrupt good morals. And then we as adults many times will allow pressure on us to say and do things we know better than doing. And in this case, Peter did so. Peter was a hypocrite. Barnabas was influenced by it as well. You see, the problem here is that when you know better and you don't do better and you practice different, you are a hypocrite. If I preach that it's sinful to drink alcohol and then I go out and I drink alcohol, not only am I a sinner, but I'm also a hypocrite. So what does Paul do? He said, I withstood him to the face. Now, folks, I've got to imagine that was not a pleasant situation. You have the Apostle Paul, the leader to those Gentiles who had heard the gospel, and you have the Apostle Peter, and the two of them face to face. And Paul tells him that he was to be blamed. Now, lest you misunderstand... The Bible is quite plain about some things have to be dealt with publicly. When Paul was writing Timothy about elders in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he recognized that some of them were going to do things that were sinful and public. And he says, those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest may also fear. In other words, you don't allow this to just simply slide by. Acts 25, verse 16. When Paul speaks about a man, he said he should be able to face his accuser face to face. Observe what Paul did not do. Paul didn't run around to all the congregation there at Antioch and say, Peter's a hypocrite, Peter's a hypocrite. Paul withstood him to his face. He made the accusation before him publicly. Brother Gus Nichols had a very good illustration. I remember hearing it when I was a little boy. I've used it several times. And he talked about the difference between handling matters private and public. And he said, here's a student sitting at their desk and they pick up their pencil and the teacher's giving out spelling words for them to learn. And the student takes the little pencil and writes K-A-T for cat. The teacher can look over at the student and say to the student, that's not right. Put a C there for the K and say, that's the way you spell cat. Nobody else needs to be involved. On the other hand, if that same child is standing at the board and writing on the board and the teacher says spell cat and the student puts K-A-T, the teacher has to correct that publicly. And you say, why? Because if she doesn't or he doesn't, 
then everybody in the class would think that's the way you spell cat. When something is public, as was the behavior of Peter, the Jews, and even Barnabas, this had to be dealt with publicly. And Paul says, so that the truth of the gospel... You know, he mentions that twice in this chapter. The truth of the gospel. And you see, that's where you start looking and saying, is this really important? Well, sure it's important. Because if you don't do what's right, the truth of the gospel doesn't continue. Peter looked, or Paul looked at Peter and says, you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews. The truth is, Jews no longer have to live as Jews. Evidently, Peter was not keeping all of those rules and regulations that Jews had to keep. He's now free from all of those. He's justified by Christ and not the law of Moses. You see, what the false brethren were proposing was that you had to live a strict Jewish life. And the answer was, no, you don't. And the reason why you don't is because you're not justified by that law of Moses. You're justified by faith in Christ. If justification came through the law, then Christ died in vain. If you could be saved through the Old Testament law, why would Jesus ever need to die anyway? That'd be ridiculous. There was that insufficiency of that Old Testament law. I want you to observe a few principles before we tidy this up. Number one, this shows that no one is above question. The leaders were involved here. I want to be very clear. Preachers can and do make mistakes. Elders can and do make mistakes. Apostles made mistakes. And that's the reason why everyone is expected to verify for themselves that this is true and right and correct. You remember Luke's observation about the people who lived in Berea in Acts 17 and verse 11? These were more noble, New King James says, fair-minded in those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness, now listen carefully, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. You ought not to accept what any preacher says without verifying that that's what the Scriptures teach as well. Number two, Paul did not attack Peter as a person. He attacked his behavior. Because the truth is, is that Paul was not wanting to destroy Peter's influence. He wanted Peter to change. It's hard sometimes for us 
when we are confronting to not allow someone to become our enemy. Later on in this epistle, Paul will ask the question, Have I become your enemies because I tell you the truth? If someone corrects us, rightly so, they are our friend, not our enemy. Principle number three, fear often drives men to do wrong. For before certain came from James, Peter ate with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Sometimes we allow our personal feelings to drive us when God's word ought to be what drives us. Number four, sin has consequences. What Peter did was wrong. Let me tell you how badly it affected things. You had a congregation here in Antioch, the one in Syria, that had Jews and Gentiles in the congregation. Folks, they were getting along. Things were going along well. Some come from James. Now Peter won't eat with the Gentiles. But do you know what it says? That even all these Jews were carried away with his hypocrisy. You let one person stand up and do something wrong, there's going to be people lined up behind them. And they're going to do wrong too. And sometimes you'll be even surprised at the people who will line up behind them. You know who shocks me the most in all this? is Barnabas. Barnabas went with Paul on that missionary journey. He was right there with Paul as he went to Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And he saw these people being converted. But I want you to put yourself on the side of the Gentiles. You've enjoyed a wonderful fellowship in the body of Christ. And now all of a sudden somebody comes and people are no longer your friend. They no longer act like their brethren. They won't eat with you. They won't have anything to do with you. You've withdrawn. What does that say to those brethren? Many of them it says... You're not good enough. Problems will arise, but they can be settled if everyone will seek the will of God first. I want to end with the statement of Paul in verse 20. You see, Paul in verse 19 explained that he had become dead to the law. And he explained further in verse 20 by saying, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now here's the reality of all of this. 
you and I will find ourselves occasionally in a situation where problems exist. And we have to quit saying, oh, here's the way I feel about it. How does the Lord feel about it? What does God want done? And my feelings, my attitudes shouldn't enter into the picture at all because I have been crucified with Christ. And this morning, in this audience, some of you have not been crucified with Christ yet. You see, Jesus was crucified on the cross and died, and then His body was buried in the tomb, and He rose again. In Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 4, we're buried with Him in baptism like unto death. We're raised to walk in newness of life. For those of you who have not yet become a Christian, you've not yet been baptized, you've not yet been crucified with Him. This morning, please, listen. Your soul is too important too precious to let another service, another invitation of the Lord to pass. Please save your soul by being obedient to the gospel. If you're a Christian and you realize I'm the one who's been talked about in verse 11. I, I deserve to be blamed. Let's Pray together that God will forgive. Would you come while we stand and sing?